the best college football pick and pod in the land. We're coming to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black, and we're here with you for another Pick'em Rewind as we get ready to look back at week three in college football. Alan, welcome back. It was a crazy weekend. Number one got pushed to the limit. A lot went down over the weekend. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. This this past week went by, it feels like so fast, like that third down from Penn State that didn't exist. <laughs> that is the truth. If you're ready for it, Alan, let's go ahead and give a quick glance at the standings as we dive into another Pick'em Rewind. Sweet, man. Let's do it. All right. We have a new leader atop the group. His name is Tim. He went 8-2 and two this past week, picked up 49 points, and has 126 points. He's in the top 400 in the world. Tremendous start for Tim, and he has a 10-point lead right now. He moved up from second place to first place. And, of course, he leads the pack as he is in the running for a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped, plus a $100 Visa gift card. Alan, it was quite a week from Tim and uh, an impressive start to the first three weeks of the season for the contest that we have. He's been incredible so far. I mean, he's not just in the lead. He's by, he's in the lead by, you know, several points, you know, and to establish that this early is uh, pretty remarkable. You and I had good weeks as well, Alan. I finished up uh, getting 45 points on the week, going 7-3 and three in my picks. I jumped up to a tie for third. Last week, I was in a tie for 10th, so I'm in a much better spot back in the top five. And Alan, for the first time, you seem like you are climbing in the right direction. You are now in a tie for 16th after going 7-3 and three yourself and picking up 43 points on the board. I think you and I should both be relatively uh, quite pleased with how this week went, sir. I was. Uh, I'm. I'm very happy with how it went. I just, man, that that Boise State game kept me from vaulting automatically right back into the top ten, and so that's. It's hard to not think about what could have been. Absolutely. If you're ready for it, let's go ahead and dive into the rewind. And because you mentioned it, it wasn't the game I was going to go to first, but hey, we may as well talk about Oklahoma State, Boise State. Uh, It was your value pick, one of the two last week. And talking about taking the Broncos in this game on the Smurf turf, Alan, I was with you. I agreed. I had them at a lower value than you did, uh, but this was a really close game back and forth. And then a defensive uh, slugfest in the second half that the Broncos just weren't quite able to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jalen Warren for Oklahoma State was incredible. He had 32 carries for 218 yards, which is just an unreal stat line. Um, as I kind of predicted, Spencer Sanders was some hot garbage going 6 of 13 for only 82 yards. As, as you kind of mentioned, no scoring in the second half. Um Man, it it really really hurts the fact that they they had multiple chances to to win that game though late to the point that they probably should have had had another touchdown, but it was called back because uh, because of a blown whistle. Ah, uh, it was hideous. Were you? Is there any chance you were watching this game live when it was going down? I, I did not get to watch the end live. I watched the first half, but 
I, I did not get to watch the second half. I, I couldn't. When I saw that after the fact, I was so angry because of the ramifications that it has. It was massive. And like you said, it, it tossed and turned the standings. It would have certainly benefited you and me to both have a right pick there. It would have vaulted us up even higher in the pick'em board than we ended up. But that that play you're talking about was was really what defined the game. Unfortunately, it was Jalen Warren, who you mentioned already. He had an awesome game, but he fumbled. I feel like it was maybe three or four minutes ago in the fourth quarter. And the ball's out on the ground. J.L. Skinner for Boise State picks it up, and he's streaking to the end zone. I mean, nobody's even close to him. He's going to walk in for six. And then all of a sudden, about 20 yards out, the whistles start blowing. They're blowing it dead. And to me, to the naked eye watching it on TV, the angle I had alive, I thought it was a fumble, but you couldn't really tell if Warren was down or not. But then the replay happened, and Allen... I was so ticked, even not even the fact that I had the Broncos, but just for the simple fact of how the referees played this thing. Because unless I just missed hearing a whistle somewhere, it seemed like the ball squirted out, Skinner picked it up, and like I said, he got 15 or 20 yards down the field before the whistle ever even blew. And the, the thing these referees are told to do is let it play out. If there's a yes. question, you review it and you correct it if you're wrong. And it was very, very close. Skinner, I'm not surprised that the refs thought maybe he was down, but I didn't hear that whistle right away. So to me, they should have let the play go out. The touchdown should have been called and then review it. And upon review, you see that Warren's knee, his elbow, everything's two, three inches off the ground, and the ball is clearly out. It should have been six for the Broncos. Instead, the offense comes on the field, and my automatic thought was, uh-oh, this is just a sign of what's to come. You know, you get a touchdown taken off the board illegitimately, and now your offense has to come out, and they haven't had a lot of success in the second half. They gained a little bit of yardage. They brought out the field goal unit, and then it's tipped, it's blocked, and, you know, Oklahoma State's lead is preserved who knows how the game would have played out. Uh, but it's just a terrible, terrible finish to a competitive, very exciting football game that Boise State should have legitimately had the lead there with a couple of minutes to go in the game. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's an absolute travesty that three weeks into the year, the biggest storyline has been the, the complete incompetence and buffoonery of these officials with no accountability. All of these bozos will go back out to a Big 12 game, and they will have no accountability, and they will officiate this next game and get paid a few thousand dollars to do it, right? Like, it's incredible that these these things that have great ramifications for a lot of people, including coaches, and that's not even beginning to touch the betting side of things, right? But these these guys that that just seem to be clueless at times just make these just unbelievably terrible mistakes it's it's inexcusable and there's there's no form of accountability who watches the watchman right and no one does that's the thing that just makes you so mad <laughs> it, it has been amazing how bad it's been and the fact that we have multiple games in our pick'em slate that were affected by this kind of thing fortunately for us i think it really only seemed that that one was the one that was really turned by the outcome of an official's call uh, but yeah. there were certainly opportunities where other games could have been impacted. I just think they weren't impacted as highly as, you know, the mistakes were big in the refereeing of the game. Right. Well, the one, thankfully, we didn't have to choose that we would have every single one of us would have been infuriated on was that Memphis Mississippi State game. 
Oh, yeah. Right? Now, that one is another one where the officials truly decided essentially the end of that game, you know, and it's just, it's terrible. It's just, it's, it's inexcusable on this level of competition to have that kind of incompetence. It really is. And hopefully it gets cleaned up. Alan, let's go ahead and move on to another game. We've talked about it just in passing, but number one, Alabama really, really got pushed in the swamp this weekend. Uh, Let's talk about this one because Alabama went in, they got up big early, they led Florida 21-3. to It felt like, hey, Big Bad Bam is just rolling once again. But as this game developed, we really, I thought, learned a lot of things about both Alabama and Florida, even though it came close and there wasn't quite an upset. I think there was a lot to take away from this matchup. Oh, I agree. I I think we learned that Bama's defense can again this year be taken advantage of. I mean, Florida is essentially one-dimensional, um, but still outgained Bama four forty to three thirty-one. I think that's a that's a pretty big concern moving forward to them. Florida outran them two forty-five to ninety-one. That's staggering. I don't care who is your quarterback. I don't care if it's if it's Emory Jones that's got good wheels, but is average at best as a passer and mistake-prone. You know. I thought this was a was a, a pretty big deal um, in showing maybe some of the parity that maybe we didn't think so much was going to be at a part of this year. I think it's going to end up being a part of this year. Well, the parity that we've seen through the first few weeks, it felt like going into this weekend, it's involved everyone but Alabama. Well, yeah. insert Alabama into the equation as well, because it seems that the top teams in the country aren't exactly what we thought they were, and it seems to have opened the door to what feels like could be a just crazy 2021 season. I'm loving it already, uh, but it's going to be very interesting to watch as we go on. Absolutely. Yeah, just totally fascinating. You mentioned the 245 rushing yards for Florida. They did it on 5.7 yards per carry. Just tremendous. And Dan Mullen, man, he has worked to this Florida offense. To lose Kyle Trask, to lose Kyle Pitts and the passing offense and a bunch of the wide receivers that were there as well from a year ago, to turn to Emory Jones and really turn this into a run-heavy offense with Malik Davis uh, Naquan Wright, just a tremendous job by Dan Mullen and the staff. They went in with a game plan, and Mullen mentioned after the game, hey, we didn't really lose this game. We just kind of ran out of time because they were bullying Alabama in the second half, and I think if they had five more minutes on the clock, they may have very well found a way to win this game. Oh, yeah. That, Mullen is maybe the top offensive mind consistently in college football. I mean, he re- he is incredible and always puts together a, a game plan, can work with any style of quarterback. When you think about it, he's worked with Dak. He's he's worked with Kyle Trask. He made, uh, you know, he's made Emory Jones look serviceable when in many other systems he wouldn't. He just, he has a knack to be able to both be a great play caller, but also to get the, the most out of, maybe not perfect pieces, you know? 
Absolutely. Alan, let's move from one struggling top team to another. We had the Oklahoma Sooners knocking off Nebraska 23-16, but again, another close one and another one where you're kind of scratching your head at the end of it. We know what has happened year after year after year with these Oklahoma offenses, and there seems to be something just kind of missing at this point in time as Spencer Rattler and company go out on the field, uh, coming away with just a seven-point win against the Cornhuskers. Yeah, they just were were not impressive, to be honest with you. I, I'm starting to get the feeling that Oklahoma is very soft. Now, I'm not sure that there are many teams that will be able to take advantage of it, but I do think you're going to see them lose to, you know, a Kansas State or an Iowa State or someone like that, again, that typically has maybe more of a, a Big Ten type of presence that can take advantage of some of the, uh, of the fact that they are just, they're kind of soft, you know? Yeah. The running game really hasn't been there. Kennedy Brooks and those guys haven't really seemed to get things going to me. It's just a really true lack of explosiveness. Uh, That's the thing that we've grown to know and expect from this Oklahoma offense. But when it Mm -hmm. comes to Spencer Rattler, Jaden Hazelwood, Uh, Marvin Mims, those guys on the outside, there just haven't been a lot of explosive plays. And I think some of that boils down to the game plan that Nebraska had going into it. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, I think we should be seeing a lot more of those explosive plays come around. Uh, But we're three weeks into the year, and I don't know exactly where they are at this point. Absolutely. I, I don't think we really know what to make of Oklahoma, other than the fact that I do not think they are deserving of a top five ranking. Is there anybody that does deserve a five, top five ranking at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Georgia. Georgia and Alabama, I think, are deserving. Um, definitely not Clemson, but they were number six anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't really know. There's a lot of imperfect teams. Maybe Michigan State. Throw them up there. Yeah. We'll, we'll see, man. There's a there's a lot of teams, kind of mid-level teams kind of playing over their head, and you got a lot of top-level teams that seem to be playing down uh, far short of what we would have expected coming into the season. But I'm kind of there with you with, with George as well. I'm sure we'll be talking about them a lot as the season goes on. Alan, let's go ahead and move to another one. Maybe one of those teams that's maybe outperforming expectations a little bit, but the Penn State Nittany Lions winning on their home field against the Auburn Tigers in a close one, 28-20. We both got some points in our picks on this one. We agreed with Penn State winning the game. Uh, Really, I thought an impressive performance from the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I thought it was an impressive – honestly, I thought it was a fairly impressive performance for both teams. Agreed. There there are only maybe 15 teams in the country that could have walked in there on Saturday night with the wideout as electric and dialed in as it was and kept that game even close, right? There just there aren't many teams that did that. So I thought Auburn showed themselves to be uh, pretty formidable. Um, Clifford was just incredible. He was 28-32 for 280 and two touchdowns. Um, again, the officials are just so dang bad. I, I think the biggest thing, though, was Nick's, Bo Nix was, again, inefficient he was only 21 to 37 for 185 yards some of that has to do with Penn State's defense is really good particularly in the secondary and they they just they can make plays on the ball um but you know for Auburn what they got going for him is Tank Bigsby is next level that guy could play in the NFL right now he had 23 for 102 and two touchdowns but again officials are just so dang bad 
Yeah, and and Penn State really to me, I thought they if they truly implemented their game plan defensively how they wanted to. Uh, they contained Tank Bigsby. You mentioned the 100-plus yards that he had. Uh, that's true, but on 23 carries, that's really not that bad. I mean, Penn State, I think, did what they needed to, just contain him. Jarquez Hunter, the true freshman as well, he was very impressive out of the Auburn backfield. But Penn State mm-hmm. just kind of bottled both of them up. They just made sure, hey, hey, you may consistently get yards on us, but you're not going to blow the big one on our defense, and then we're going to put pressure on Bo Nix to beat us. And they were, Bo Nix wasn't able to do that. I think that was uh, fitting of what our expectation was going into the game. You already mentioned Sean Clifford doing a very good job on the other side I think the only concern I see with Penn State coming out of this game is they really got no run game going whatsoever Noah Kane was in there but he really struggled Uh, there just wasn't a running threat from Penn State in this game credit to Auburn for shutting it down Uh, but that's a more of a testament I think to even how Sean Clifford played the fact that so much pressure was on his shoulders and yet he came out on top absolutely it's last year I mean if if you look at at Penn State's struggles and starting 0-5 a lot of that had to do with his just knack for turning the ball over at the wrong time, right? That's really what it boiled down to in, in many ways. But he was just – he really impressed on Saturday night, was incredibly efficient and smart with the ball, um, was the clear leader on the offense and, and of that team. And uh, he and James Franklin have got some good – they got some good juju going right now. From quarterback play to another game where the quarterbacks were very important to the result, Cincinnati on the road at Indiana winning 38-24. Alan, this is one that I thought was a little bit confusing. Indiana got out of the gates quick. They're up 14-0. They're looking like the better team on the field. Then all of a sudden, toward the end of the first half, things started changing, and Cincinnati really started gaining control of the game. And before you knew it, Michael Penix was throwing interceptions. Indiana was really messing up opportunities to stay in this game. And then before you know it, the Bearcats are pulling away for a 14-point win. Yeah, absolutely. They were um, they were pretty impressive. Uh, Penix just is, is quite turnover prone. He just, for some reason this year, he's just making a lot of bad decisions. He had three interceptions and, um, you know, Cincinnati was defensively very, very impressive after, after getting off to a tough start, they just started dominating that game. You could, you could tell they were the better team. They just weren't executing early. Very true. Alan, let's move on over to a team that we talked about a lot last season, just kind of in an uprising season, an under-the-radar team, a group of five team, Coastal Carolina on the road at Buffalo winning 28-25. It was a really close one. We both picked up a lot of points on this one. Uh, I just so happened to load up on Cincinnati, driving them up in value, up ahead of this team. Uh, But we were both in that 7-8 range, Coastal Carolina taking care of the job on the road and uh, getting an important win over what looks to me like a pretty good Buffalo team. It looks like Buffalo's pretty darn good, at least. Um, You know, Lance Leopold left for Kansas this year, but there's a lot of holdover players. Um, Not overly impressed with Coastal Carolina, but, you know, anytime you're going on the road, that's something that you've got to – a win is is something that's important. Um, I think that this version of the Coastal Carolina team is probably not as good as last year's version. 
Um, they've they've shown a little bit of weakness thus far, but hey, they're three and zero. They get the three point win on the road, and I'll take the in eight points any day of the week. <laughs> the mullets get it done, and uh, I don't know if you saw much of this game, but Jamie Chadwell, the head coach of the Chanticleers, also rocking a mullet on the sideline this weekend. I hadn't seen him yet this season. Oh man, he, <laughs> that hair is beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, for Buffalo, I mean, what stood out to me is no Jarrett Patterson. He's the running back who went off to the NFL from a year ago. But mm-hmm. this Buffalo team just keeps on moving along with guys like Kevin Marks and Dylan McDuffie. Uh, Kyle Van Treese is a quarterback that, you know, he's serviceable. He's he's going to make some good plays. He's an experienced guy. But it's the ground game that really gets going for Buffalo. And that's what they want to kind of ground and pound you with and have the pass be a mix in there to to help along the way uh, but I think this Buffalo team is one to watch you know I don't know how many times they're going to throw in to the mix in our pick em slate throughout the regular season but especially bowl season I think Buffalo is one just to kind of keep tabs on throughout the year because it's a team that we're probably going to see a couple more times yeah I, c- I could definitely see us having a, a game or two later on in the year with with this Buffalo team so it was good to at least have some sense of where they are before we end up picking them against, you know, some random week uh, when, you know, Alabama's playing their bye game and, you know, all these teams in November playing their bye game and they play Toledo. So it gets on there. You know, it's good to know a little bit about what we're dealing with. Let's move on to one of your value picks, Alan, from last week. You picked an upset BYU over Arizona State. They got it done on the field. Uh, to me, they haven't been overly impressive in any one of their wins, though I like all their wins. But BYU just seems to keep on plugging along after a really impressive year a year ago. Now Kalani Sataki and company keep on getting the job done, undefeated, beating another Pac-12 opponent late Saturday night. They are... They are impressive, and they are the Pac-12 South champs, right? <laughs> I mean, I think at this point they they deserve that uh, that crown. Um, they caused four turnovers. They they made Daniels turn it over a few times. They they just do. They kind of just do enough, you know. But sometimes that's that's really all you need. I'm, I'm impressed with with BYU. They are they are resilient, and it, they clearly have shown that that was not just totally a fluke with with having Zach Wilson the past couple of years that um, he, he's really built a, a solid program that's that's built to stay after Bronco Mendenhall left for Virginia. It really has been impressive, the turnaround of what BYU has done with the loss of so many players. The thing that really boiled down for me in this matchup, Alan, you mentioned it, the four turnovers were massive uh, because – it wasn't that Arizona State was dramatically better than BYU in this game, but when you look at yards per play throughout this game, Arizona State 6.9 to 5.4 for BYU. To me, down to down, play to play, Arizona State was getting the better of BYU, but it really was, I think, the turnovers that kind of flipped this game and allowed the Cougars to come out on top. That's such a huge deal in college in college football especially, is if you can win that turnover battle, especially if you're the home team, that for the most part ends up being, you know, a straight cash money. You're going to get the win. From your upset to my upset, Alan, Michigan state on top of Miami. I had Michigan state at a four. I am glad to say I did, uh, because as that game went along, along, the Spartans really pulled away. Kenneth Walker, ran all over the Miami Hurricanes defense. (laughs) And the Spartans are undefeated at this point, really looking possibly like a quality team inside the Big Ten. 
Yeah, I think this is that's this possibly a, a nine-win team at this point. Um, similar to Michael Penix in Indiana, Derek King is just so turnover prone. He he has been infinitely overrated this year, as Miami actually has too. Um, and looking back, maybe that dominance against you know that that Bama had over them that doesn't look nearly as impressive on either account. At this point, Miami again had four turnovers, and they were just quite frankly out toughed. Um, I think the oh, like the the really really most important thing moving forward for Michigan State, and kudos to you for just absolutely nailing this one. I went the other way, went with Miami, and that was a tough uh, you know a tough one on my four pick. But Peyton Thorne is really quite impressive with four touchdowns this week. It, he truly has been very good. He's protected the ball, and that ground game has really set everything up for the Spartans. And, hey, you're giving me credit for the pick. I thank you very much. But like we talked about last week, you were willing to move Miami down in value just as I was willing to flip over to the other side. So in comparison, you really didn't have Miami in that bad of a spot. So good read on your part as well, knowing that, hey, you slide Miami down a little bit in comparison to the spread, uh, so that benefited you in t- in terms of some people uh, just not you know being willing to go over to the other side with Michigan State. Yeah, I, I just thought at home I, I thought we would see good De'Aaron King, and we clearly did not, and and that was I think the the biggest part of it. And then it, once there were so many, um, uh, you know, once they got to so many turnovers. Just they broke their Miami's will to live. So uh, I was really, really impressed with Sparks. One that I'm really interested to get your thoughts on, Alan, because we both had it in the exact same spot. We were both wrong, but San Diego State coming out on top of Utah, 33-31 in triple overtime. This is one that we saw a lot of different things go on. San Diego State was up kind of big. Utah switched from Charlie Brewer to Cameron Rising at quarterback. They eventually started a comeback, forced overtime, and then just came up short. But you and I were both at the exact same level. We had the favorite in Utah, but we put them very low on our board in value Mm. at a two. We were in the exact same spot. And that, to me, was a testament to putting a team that we didn't have a whole lot of faith in in the right spot because there were a whole bunch of people in Utah at much higher values. And when they get upset, you and I were both kind of, I think, clued in by the basis of our pick. Uh, So what was your thought going into it, and why did you have Utah so low? Oh, we talked about it. We didn't really trust Charlie Brewer, right? He's he's kind of hard to to trust at this point, to the point that he's now left the program. I don't know if you saw saw that. No. But he, he, he rage quit, man. (laughs) <laughs> Mormons are on mission longer than he was out west in Utah, right? <laughs> like, it was unbelievable that, like, I, I think I saw Brett McMurphy tweet something out about it. Um, just he, he struggled, and um, you know they almost came back, uh, but I just didn't trust him. And I knew San Diego State was a was a pretty darn good team and could beat them if Utah turned the ball over and just didn't take care of business. Yeah, really interesting in this one. San Diego State only had 248 yards of offense, but they didn't allow a ton to Utah either, but they were outgained in this game, yet somehow came up with a win. But kind of like you're alluding to, I mentioned this on Twitter after the game ended, my gut reaction when I 
saw the matchups last week, and even when I dug into it further, I still wanted to pick San Diego State, but I simply went with Utah at a low value. Again, this is one of those ones where it was 90-plus percent of people on Utah, and I thought, hey, I would rather see the upset for San Diego State and have Utah at a very low value than see, hey, a little bit higher favorite come out on top in a close game and be on the upset and miss out on points while everybody else gets them. So I thought it was a very heady spot for both you and me to have Utah so low on our board. And I think it's one of the reasons you and I both were at the near the top of this week and moved up was because of a pick like this. Absolutely. Very true. Alan, the final matchup that we had was West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Uh, Kind of a wild game here as West Virginia jumped out to a big lead on Virginia Tech, held off on a comeback. Uh, Letty Brown was really big for the Mountaineers, and Virginia Tech had an opportunity late off a Jarrett Dagey interception. They just weren't able to come away with the winning score in the last moments of this game. Oh, man, I was so nervous watching the end of this thing. Um, I mean, you could have you could have bounced a, you, you couldn't have fit a thimble up my butt because <laughs> it's just a, a, of how much they were, they were trying to give, give this game away. Um, kudos to Virginia tech for coming back. They were down 27 to seven and it looked like that thing was going to be a runaway. And, uh, you know, Braxton Burmeister, they, they just kept battling and really did have the chance to win it there at the end. I'm just grateful that West Virginia was able to pull it out. Cause that ended up being a, a, a good swing game early on. Very, very true. Alan, as we look at the entire board, last week we went 6-2 and two on the games we agreed on, and then we went 1-1 one and one each on the games we disagreed on. So a solid pick slate. Like you mentioned, we were both near the top of the board, and it helped us move up in the standings. A very solid week overall. And uh, one more thing to recap was we had no winner of our weekly $25 Visa gift card giveaway. That is where you have to pick a perfect slate and uh, if there's multiple people who do it, then you have to have the tiebreaker for the total score for whatever game is given in that week. We had one come very close. Alan, Bruce came very, very close. He went 9-1 and one in his picks. I'm pretty sure he's the only person in the whole group that went 9-1. and one. He only missed on that Utah pick. So very, very close, just one pick away from getting that perfect slate in week three. Oh, man. I didn't realize he was. He had only picked the Utah game wrong. That is that is brutal. He's he's on the the Charlie Brewer hate you know the hate club right now. So I'm sure he's somewhere writing them a, a, a sternly worded letter. He's got to be. If Cameron Rising's put in earlier in that game, Utah probably wins because their offense really came to life once Rising was in the game. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was pretty remarkable once he came in and you know almost let him back. The speaking of which, that was the first game that I'd gotten to see the new overtime rules in play in the third overtime. And as long as my team isn't the one being, you know, having to go two point conversion um, after two point conversion, it was pretty entertaining. (laughs) It's entertaining, but I'll tell you, I hate it. I want to see real football played. (laughs) Yeah. It's not real football, right? It's it's us going out in the backyard and, you know, just whatever. We can save this debate for another time, but man, I think a way to fix it is instead of fast-forwarding to two-point conversions, back up the offenses. Offenses are so efficient and so good right now, 
and kickers have gotten better and better. I know we still have college kickers and a lot of them miss and that kind of thing. But some of these schools, kickers are really, really good. And I think you should back these teams up starting in overtime. Back them up to like the 40 or the 50. Make them actually gain some yardage before they can just bail out and kick a field goal. And then at that point, maybe a team has to go for it on fourth down, you know, maybe from midfield to have a shot to be able to continue down the field, you know, taking a chance to score. I think that would add a lot of entertainment. I think for teams that have lackluster offenses, I think it would end some overtimes quicker. And I think it would really change up strategy and how things were played out on the field in overtime. Totally agree. Uh, I hate the rule. And if my team is, is ever in it, then, then I'm really going to hate it. And so whether we win or lose. <laughs> and um, so, so it, it's fascinating. I, I agree. Move them back to the 40 or 50, make them drive. I hate the fact that they're in field goal range from the minute, because then if you turn the ball over, then the game's over, right? I mean, it, it's pretty much done at that point. So I'm a big fan of just moving, moving it back. Yeah. I think it would be a blast. Alan, Let's uh, wrap this one up. As always, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at The Blackout Pod. And one of the biggest ways you can help the show is by going on Apple Podcasts and rating and reviewing The Blackout. That is huge for us. So, Alan, coming up next, we've got a pick em pod. We're going to record it right now, and we will step in and give you some more value picks ahead of week four. Alan Denton, thank you so much for your time, sir. You're welcome. See you on the other side, brother. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.